0: Welcome to the Toxic People Detox, a practical guide for finding peace in the midst of toxic people. It's not about changing them, it's about changing how you respond to them and doing so in a productive, healthy way. Today's guest is Dr. Rita Luis. She is a survivor of childhood abuse. Dr. Rita Luis has emerged as a gifted empath and talented clairvoyant medical intuitive. She is a naturopathic physician and founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics, that trains students in the art of medical intuition, intuitive counseling, and energy medicine, and former host of Just Energy Radio. She has authored six books and produced several feature-length and short films. Dr. Louise has appeared on radio, television, and in movies, and has lectured on health and healing, ghosts, intuition, ancient mysteries, and the paranormal. Her books and articles have worldwide circulation. She can be found at www.soulhealer.com. And I believe, Dr. Luis, your latest book is The Dysfunctional Dance of the Impact in narcissist.
1: It is. And I thought it was a great topic for your show.
0: Yeah. And I was particularly interested in the narcissistic angle of it because that's something that my listeners want to hear more of because they're dealing with narcissists, whether it's a parent, whether it's a spouse, or, you know, coworker, whatever. I was listening to an interview you did by a gentleman with named Victor. Victor Furman. Victor Furman. Mm-hmm. And I, I was glued, basically. And you talked about your narcissism within your childhood. So let's start there. And you mentioned your mother.
1: <laughs> my nemesis. <laughs> mm. So it's a little hard to separate for me whether my mother was a narcissist. Or whether, and this is a big part of it, whether there were just too many kids. I'm one of eight. And, you know, she just really didn't have the time or really interest in taking care of any of us. So there was a lot of neglect. There was a lot of doing things her way, the highway (laughs) or the byway. Mm -hmm. And basically it was your job to comply, which I wasn't very good at apparently.
0: Yeah. And and you mentioned in that interview, too, that you were kind of
1: rebellious, but at the same time, you kind of took it and you went back for more. I'm just going to not talk about my childhood a second. But when people are in abusive relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, the person that's being abused does go back for more. And, you know, someone who has not had that situation may wonder, well, why don't they just leave? You know, why don't they whatever? And, but it really goes back to our childhood. So in that situation, it can't leave your family when you're six or 10 or 14. And so the choice is you get over it, you know, and you kind of put it to the side or you try to forget about it, or you try to make do the best you can. And then you try to reintegrate and re-socialize with your family. And so by its very nature, you're being taught to go back and get more because the situation like that really aren't going to change. And you mentioned that when you're in
0: a toxic situation, like what you kind of just said is it normalizes you. And so you're not sure what normal looks like. Exactly. At at what point in your life did you say, this is not normal. I need to find out what normal is.
1: (laughs) A little over a year ago, (laughs) I, you know, and so people sit there and they, they beat themselves up for not changing something or doing something different. And all right, I'm kind of old. I consider myself a very intuitive person. I'm a pretty fearless person. And so if I know that there's something that needs to change or be fixed, I'm okay with doing that. Yeah, it was just a year ago in December Mm -hmm. that uh, it was kind of like a giant Band-Aid was ripped off. And all of this real ugliness was revealed to me. Maybe I was just finally ready to address it and Mm -hmm. work on healing it. But yeah, it wasn't that long ago. You make
0: a comment by saying that narcissists, you know, they're very self-serving. And I, I was wondering, I mean, aren't we all to an extent, at what point does it stop being just a character flaw and it becomes full of narcissism?
1: Good question. It's healthy for us to want to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Where it starts to become all off narcissism is that that's the only thing they care about. When you're talking about a relationship, you can be, you know, a people pleaser all by yourself and just people please whatever. And you can be a narcissist all by yourself, but no one's being affected by your bad behavior because you're by yourself. So it's only really when you're in a relationship with someone that these things can become issues. And so where it really starts to shine is if there isn't any give and take. Relationships, you know, they say they're supposed to be 50 50. And- Any woman that has children knows that, eh, maybe not so 50-50, but there is this give and take. But with a narcissist, for example, so let's say I get sick and I have the flu or I hurt myself, the narcissist is not really going to be willing to really step up to the plate and fill in those gaps in the relationship. Because their expectation is that you're going to take care of them or they'll belittle you because now they have to take care of you. You know, there's always some kind of repercussion where internally you're sitting there going, God, I wish I didn't get sick, you know, or I didn't hurt myself because it's more, (laughs) it's just easier. Life is easier with this person when I'm able to take care of them.
0: Yeah. Is it a possibility that that behavior on the narcissist part can go in the opposite direction? Whereas it's not like, well, I'm on my deathbed, but still I need to help this person. But this person now wants to, it's it's almost like, well, you need me. And so I need you to be sick so I can keep taking care of you and getting the attention, if that makes sense.
1: That does make sense. A narcissist is going to do what a narcissist is going to do. You know, and so if being that kind of caretaker is something that's within their personality, I could see that. You know, and I'll give a personal example. Okay. So just for the listeners, I've been married way too many times. I've had a lot of long term relationships. I have a lot of experience with not healthy relationships. How's that? So this guy, we live together. And he helped around the house. He would maintain the yard and he would cook sometimes. And that was pretty much it. But if you asked him to do something that was outside of his little box of things that he liked to do, it never happened ever, Mm -hmm. you know, or it became this huge issue and you just Wish you never asked in the first place, because it would just get turned into some nightmare drama. Drama, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I I hear you, and I'm laughing because I had that experience. It's like, God, why did I even bring that up? You know what? Forget it.
1: And and a lot of people that are in those kind of relationships, you know, they walk around on eggshells trying to figure out what can I bring up, what can I bring up. Well, I'll just deal with this myself because. It's just easier. It's just easier than listening to you or dealing with you. Mm -hmm. But that's also abusive if taken too far. Yeah,
0: I agree. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone. We have this mutual acquaintance. And just as you described it, it feels like walking on eggshells. It's like, what can I bring up around this person? What this person just blowing his his temper, right? Mm -hmm. And my goodness. So- is there a certain type of behavior that drives a narcissist away quicker than anything else? I mean, something is like kryptonite to them.
1: <laughs> Having boundaries. Oh, yes. You know, and telling down. them what's like. Well, but that's not working for me. Hmm. <laughs> you now, know. Well, and I don't know that it would necessarily drive them away. I don't know if it would drive them away, but it would make it so that they're like in hissy fit mode, and it maybe would open your eyes to go, "Mm, this isn't really working for me. Mm -hmm. If you're not giving them attention, the kind of attention that they want or they think that they deserve, they might not leave the relationship, but they might start and looking for that kind of attention from somewhere else. So they might start doing pornography or going on to dating sites or chatting with women on Facebook to get that kind of attention from somewhere. If it's not coming from you, it's going to be coming from somewhere. That narcissistic supply. Exactly.
0: Considering how our society is, they will always find supply. They'll never dry up, unfortunately.
1: Well, you know, I think this whole concept of narcissism and their behavior has just always kind of been in the background. And it's just really in this last couple of years that that word has really come to the forefront and people are becoming aware of it and familiar with it Mm -hmm. and doing something about it and doing something with it. What do you think that is? What do you think the, the shift is all of a sudden this word that, like
0: you said, has been around? But it's only within the past couple of years, it's actually headlines.
1: (laughs) All right. So this is going to sound terrible, you know, (laughs) um, but the word narcissist really has come to the forefront due to President Trump being elected. Okay. No, and I'm not going to like go one way or another with my own personal particular political views. It's just a statement of fact because everyone's running around going, ah, he's a narcissist. Ah, he's a narcissist. Ah, he's a narcissist. And up until that point in time, it's like- you really didn't hear that word being used. Okay,
0: well, <laughs> I never really thought about it. You were you were talking about being in relationships.
1: What are some early warning signs of a narcissist? So when you are first starting to date someone, they want to be like your one and only. They will send you text after text after text, or keep you on the phone. Like one husband who I thought was really into me. See, and that's the thing. It's like you meet these people and there's this thought, well, they're doing these behaviors because they're really into me. And we would sit on the phone for hours at a time, hours at a time. But it's a narcissistic thing. It's to keep you occupied. It's to keep getting their supply. From you. But if you're not aware that that's what they're doing, then you just might think that they're just really into you. They're really good at kind of tricking you and manipulating you. Another key thing is many times their words do not match their actions. So they might say something or promise something, but there's no follow through. You know, they might tell you after, you know, like, Two or three days that they're in love with you and they want to get married. I mean, they just really want to push things forward very quickly. And they're good at hiding it. They're good at being kind of this miracle end-all, be-all person until they think they have you hooked. Whether you move in with them, whether you get married. So my last husband, he passed away. He was a great guy. I was. His sixth marriage. So I was number six for him. And so <laughs> he had, a, he was married to a bunch of narcissists too. And it's just like, and his comment was when we got married about a month later, and he goes, Well, I'm waiting. And I'm like, Well, what are you waiting for? And he goes, Well, I'm waiting for you to change. I'm like, What do you mean waiting for me to change? And he goes, Every time I've gotten married, everything are great, 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 great. Until she said, "I do, mm-hmm. and then all bets were off, and they became completely different people. He goes, "So I'm waiting, and I'm like, "This is it, you know what you see is what you get. all right, I might not put makeup on all the time, and you might see me in like you know crappy house clothes, but that's uh that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's pretty normal, mhm-, yeah,
0: no." An interesting story you told that you were being gaslit by someone and you said a guy hid a, a shoe from you and you found it behind a bookcase. Yeah. So, and, and it's like, I know he did it, but he denied it. Now, how do you nail down when people gaslight you? How do you nail that down when all they're
1: going to do is just deny they did what you're accusing them of? Well, you know, it really kind of makes you feel like you're going crazy Okay, so I live in a two-story house and I had taken that a pair of shoes and put them on the stairs to go up, but they were summer shoes. And so I would just, you know, like slip into them if I needed to run out into the yard. And so they had been sitting there for a while. And so I came down one day or went to go get my shoes to put on and there was only one shoe, but you know, they were You know, why would you separate your shoes? That doesn't make any sense. And so the likely suspects were him or the dog. And I had a little toy poodle who probably couldn't even lift the shoe. You know, so it becomes pretty obvious that it wasn't the dog. And he just kept saying, "What? well, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But short of a ghost in my house, there wasn't anybody else. I haven't quite figured that one out. Other than you know that what happened was definitely them. Same guy. Okay. Different story, same guy. So I have a screen porch and I went out onto the screen porch and there was a hole in the screen. And on the other side of the screen, there was a flower pot and that was broken. And inside the flower pot was one of those spray things that you put on your hose, you know, to water or whatever. And that was sitting in the flower pot and the hole in the screen kind of matched the outline of the spray thing. But he didn't do it. It's like, come on, give me a break. (laughs) You know, and it's just like, oh, my God, I don't really have an answer for that. Other than it's just like, seriously, that's what you're going to tell me? Seriously? Seriously?
0: Yeah, this is something I had to learn the hard way to do. It's like when that happens, I just have to walk away. I mean, the natural instinct, of course, is yes, you did. Yes, you did. But it's like, no, th- that's a losing battle. All right. exactly. right. <laughs> I'm curious. Going back to childhood, you have children and these uh, narcissistic relationship where they're with the parent and they can't do anything. So what are some things that a child can do? I mean, assuming the child can even pick up on what's going on to try to protect him or herself.
1: But see, that's the really sad part is that I don't know what a child can do. I mean, a child can try to, you know, I mean, as an adult, I can tell an adult, you know, do energy work, do inner child work. You know, they have more capability of working with tools. You know, a six-year-old, what do you tell, you know, hide? Um, You don't want to tell them to be compliant necessarily you know, because that can create other developmental issues as they get older. You know, so it just puts them in a very awkward position because they're children. You know, it's the parent's responsibility to raise the children. It's not the children's responsibility to necessarily navigate their parents, even though they're forced to, you know, which ends up creating long-term issues for the adult child.
0: When they become adults... Is there a point where it might
1: be necessary to just sever ties or is, could there be other options? I mean, I think depending on nor- how narcissistic the person is or how toxic the person is, severing ties is a choice. Myself, I moved 3,000 miles away. Uh, <laughs> that seemed like a good choice. And so really, you know, the relationship was over the phone, which wasn't all that much, or if I went back home to see my family. That's the choice some people make. It's interesting because I have a lot of clients. I mean, I do a lot of work with people, health related, emotionally related, that their narcissistic parent is right there and they end up having to deal with them on a regular basis. But again, they are choosing to have that relationship. And it's like, well, it's my mother. It's like, but it's still your choice. You know, you have the choice to engage with that individual or not engage with that individual, depending on what is going on with you. And if every time you talk to them, you walk away from the situation hurting on the inside, is it worth it? You, maybe it's time for you to look at yourself and value yourself and honor yourself and keep them on a really short leash. And when you do have to interact with them, know you're going in there, <laughs> you know, you're shield up so that mm-hmm. you can make it through that situation and not end up being hurt in some way or invalidated or whatever their abusive choices. Yeah. I like that analogy of
0: shields up. Cause I mean, like you say, well, I mean, what else can you do? And I agree with you about the children. I mean, it's sad. Especially if the child tries to reach out to another adult, but that person, like you say, might be so charming that what this person is treating like that. I don't believe
1: it. And I think there's more acknowledgement of bad behavior in people, you know, or there's more follow-up maybe of that, you know, but the people that end up like going into the system, quote unquote you know, are usually kind of the worst of the worst. I mean, I wouldn't put my mom in the worst of the worst category. Now, mm-hmm. did I get screwed up because of it? Yeah. I remember growing up, there were the, oh God, what did we call them? I don't know. These kids that lived around the corner, the, the vagabond kids or something. We had some a name for them. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids would come and his hands, so he was probably eight or nine, but he looked like he was five because of the neglect. And his hands were mangled. I mean, just mangled. He would be like, oh, don't touch my hands. And it's like, why? It's like, oh, well, you know, my dad like uh, had put my hand in the window and smashed the frame down on it Mm. and broke his fingers. You know, now that's the worst of the worst. And those type of people really do need to be reported and something done. And it's so sad to say that there are so many situations where that's going on that our systems are already overloaded. They don't teach people how to parent. And there really is a lot of pressure. This is going to sound terrible, but there really is a lot of pressure on young people to have children, whether they really want them or not. You know, and I think that that's part of it, too, is, you know, again, I work with a lot of people and I look at these parents, you know, of my clients and it's like, well, they never really wanted to have kids. They just did it out of like a social Obligation. obligation, and now they're stuck with them. And what they really wanted was to have a career and go to college and, you know, and do these things. But now they have to be mom. And they are resentful, you know, whatever the scenario is, you know, no one sits there. Okay, I'll say this out loud and tell women it's like, well, you know, maybe if that's what you want to do, maybe you shouldn't have kids. Although there is a trend happening now that a lot of young people are waiting. You know, they're waiting until their late 20s, early 30s to have children. So they have an opportunity to have a life. To have, you know, start a career to do those things. And now they're emotionally ready to bring a child in. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, gotcha. When people come to you, what is your process for helping them or your teaching style?
1: I work as an intuitive, as a clairvoyant, you know, and so one of the things that I really help my clients understand is what their core beliefs are and what things they are acting on. Because if you really don't understand what's going on inside of you, then you really don't have any choice in changing it. You know, so like that book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist, it doesn't try to fix a narcissist at all. And I doubt a narcissist would probably read it. Um, (laughs) The effort in it is for the person reading the book to really kind of go inside and self-analyze and look at what their upbringing was like and what's going on inside of them so that they can be become more aware and start making better choices, different choices, healthier choices. And
0: what can a person, let's say they're in a relationship right now, that relationship, what can they do to fix their life? The first thing they need to do.
1: Uh, Oh, that's kind of a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, I guess it really depends on where they are in the relationship. You know, if they're in the relationship and they haven't made the decision that they should go or not, then they need to make that decision. You know, some people choose to stay in an uncomfortable or difficult situation. I don't understand why they're too afraid to go do something else. You know, so you need to ferret that out. I think the first piece is letting go of the hope and the wish that something's going to change. You know, if it's been like that for 10 years, probably isn't going to change in 10 more years. And so maybe that's the piece of advice that I would like to give out because there's a lot of people that's like, well, you know, I'm hoping it'll get better. I'm hoping And if you get to the place where it's not changing, then you need to start looking at what's going on so that you can make a choice about what you want to do and how you fit into it and what you want the rest of your life to be. Because we all deserve to be happy. And if you're in a toxic relationship and you spend more days than not unhappy or constantly walking around on eggshells, you're not happy. Mm -hmm. You might have moments of happiness, but you're really, truly not happy.
0: I hear that. About your book, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist, who would you like
1: to read this book? Who needs to have this in their hand right now? I think anyone who finds themselves in a toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. um, and they are not the abuser, but the victim of the abuse. I think those are the people that should read it. Um, I think people that have found themselves in multiple relationships. I mean, because you can be in a relationship that just doesn't work out. But if you're in five relationships that just don't work out, then maybe there's something going on that's not just them. A lot of times we just blame them. Mm Mm-hmm for what's going on. And maybe it's time to take ownership of what's going on in you. And so I think either of those two situations would be ideal for the person. And just to say, it's written in a very conversational style. My clients who have gotten the book, they were like, wow, it's like you're talking in my head.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Okay. I will give you the final word. Any last bit of wisdom you would like to impart to my listeners?
1: Sure. As I said a little bit earlier, it's our job to make ourselves happy. It's also our jobs to love ourselves. And what they have found is that when we love ourselves, our lives are happy or we experience happiness in our lives. And so... If you're not happy, maybe it's time for you to start loving yourself, whatever that may be.